You're listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio. Hi, everybody. This is Bill with Nancy. Hello. Burns, and we are your co-hosts on Future Theater Live on a very momentous night. It is the night when Art Bell officially returns to the air on the Dark Matter Digital Network, and we are on Future Theater Live from the banks of Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Solbury Village, Pennsylvania, again on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio with our producer, Angel Espino, the Jackal. Say hello, Jackal. Hello, everybody. Hello, Jackal. And and tonight, we have two guests. Uh, first will be uh, we'll, together, Joel Martin, and uh, we're going to be joined by uh, Bateman from um, the Gabcast and from Dark Matter. And we're going to be talking about something interesting as the lead-in to Midnight in the Desert, which is coming on right after Future Theater, Art uh-huh. Bell's Midnight in the Desert. Yep. So. What we're going to be talking about is the background of the very show you're going to hear next, Midnight in the Desert. We're going to be talking about how this whole genre of late night paranormal talk radio came into being. And from Joel's perspective, Joel is one of the pioneers. Just Joel isn't just a commentator and or a reporter or my co-author on Hunting of the Presidents. Hunting or America. a good friend. Or a good friend. He's a lot more, yes. Joel is more than that. Joel is one of the pioneers of this genre. He was friends with Long John Neville. We'll talk a lot about Long John Neville. We'll talk about how he got started when he made his move at WOR, how, how this genre started. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about Art Bell. Uh, Art Bell can certainly represent himself. And uh, Steve is going to join us because Steve is also interested in this whole genre of, of the history of this, why this became popular, and why there are basically uh, the same kinds of hosts in local markets around the country. There's a Dave Schrader, there's Clive, there's there's George Knapp. So what we want to know is, and you forgot is, so, and you forgot someone. Well, no, I didn't. And so it is the it, it, it is the genesis of uh, this kind of media. So that's our guest tonight. And we had a and we had a big day in news today. I I find this fascinating and it's this that today Stephen Hawking lent his name along with Sergey Brin from Google and Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook lent his name to a prize. It is a hundred million dollar prize. And this is Stephen Hawking is behind this now. A hundred million dollar prize and funding for uh, Seth Shostak SETI for the discovery of alien life. This is mainstream. Wow. This is mainstream stuff. Stephen Hawking is not fooling around. He is right at the center of this. And Stephen Hawking flat out said, that given the proliferation of exoplanets in the habitable zones of their respective star systems, 
given that number in our own galaxy, given the kinds of uh, pseudo-exoplanetary, exobiological life we've already discovered here on planet Earth, this is places where life is not supposed to survive, yet it's surviving. Given that, Hawking said it is likely that we will bump up against some form of extraterrestrial life, probably microbial, but life as life. And uh, NASA itself made the announcement that we will discover different forms of extraterrestrial life within this very decade. So, Which, by the way, last week we had Richard C. Hoagland on the show, and he said that disclosure is weeks away. Within weeks. If... Well, you know what? I tend to take that with a grain of salt because he has said that since the beginning, and so has Steve Bassett. And I personally think that is, without a doubt, not a true statement. I think it's disinformation. I think it's craziness because I was there when... I was there when Steve Bassett kind of conceived the idea of becoming a lobbyist for UFOs and stuff in 1997. And I have followed him pretty closely. And I am really tired of people just stepping back and saying, disclosure, as though it's real. It's not. It's Steve Bassett's idea of something that should be. But well, it does. And so it's real. Party pooper. Yeah, well, it's real. Well, you got to poop. You got to do something. You, you know party what? Party pooper. Well, yeah. see, I, I believe. But you can't really know your background if you don't. By the way, by the way, I got great reactions from last week's show with uh, Richard Hoagland. That's the, the whole point. The Angel. folks at Bill Gab loved it. It was great. That is the whole point. You're going to, if you do, no, you're and you're being sarcastic. I didn't realize that. But if you do get great response, then that's the whole reason that you know Richard C is a important figure of this whole thing. He's a he's a big draw, as they well, say, big draw. Let me th- let me throw cold water on all of this. Mm-hmm. And it's this. All the disclosure folks are late to the party because disclosure happened, official disclosure. I know that Steve has often said, Steve, he said it to me. We've been on the radio together. He said, I sound like Donald Trump. We were on the radio together. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we talked about this on a number of occasions that all, let's say, President Barack Obama has to do is get up to the podium and say, look, I just want to confirm to you that extra t- that uh, we have encountered UFOs. UFOs are real. I really can't say any more because of national security. And oh, oh, yeah, and, and legalized drugs. Yeah, that's going to happen. Well, it's not going to happen. Well, they're closing the marijuana. Yeah, they're about to that. Well, that's, but well, but that's he, what had, he had a urged. chance to say it when he was standing in the prison, uh, first president who ever went to a prison, and he stood there and he had a chance and he called it a mistake. Okay. Not, he didn't. not to change the subject, but I wouldn't legalize marijuana on a federal level. It Why? is not. It is not, because it's not the business of the federal government to legalize decriminalize it. Just like decriminalize it. That's it. Just repeal the Anslinger Acts and let the states do whatever they want to do. And what are the Anslinger Acts? Real the Anslinger quick? Acts were the acts by Henry Anslinger all the way back in 1938 that Evil brought acts, in that brought in the federal legislation criminalizing marijuana. Anslinger was the guy behind Reefer Madness. He was the guy behind uh-huh. the racist characterization Evil of man. cannabis. It should be yeah. easy enough to repeal that. 
Obama would be a hero if he did. But then I guess the upstart is that the DEA ceases to exist, right? No, the DEA still no, exists no. for things yeah. like opium, for cocaine, for all kinds of drugs. Ah, so Anslinger is only marijuana. Real drugs, right? Anslinger drugs. was only marijuana. And the only reason Anslinger did this, first of all, he was part, he had married into the Mellon family. So he ah. had a lot of clout. But the only reason Anslinger did this was he was out of a job. Because he was uh, uh, in charge of prohibition. And once prohibition, once the Volstead Act was repealed, and that's why I'm saying that's the model for repealing the Anslinger Act. Once the Volstead Act was repealed, then poor Anslinger was out of a job. So he lobbied Congress to enact legislation to replace the Volstead Act with the Anslinger Act, which basically made, made cannabis an illegal and substance. And, you know, if, if you go back States. and... If you go back and study that moment in history, at least I saw this in the Woody Harrelson film, um, they, the AMA actually supported marijuana and they actually lied and flipped it when they put it into the bill. So the AMA was suddenly against it exactly. as the bill went through. But the AMA was, could find no da uh, damage that marijuana causes. They could find none. And they had a long list. They had been using it as, as medicine forever. Oh, yeah. In fact, you know, oh, yeah, we yeah, were, yeah. in fact, remember when you and I went to that um, auction for that old, old 1800s um, pharmacy where sure. we got the big hamburger that yeah. David has? Well, <laughs> remember, remember that particular, um, that apothecary, that big apothecary drawer, one of the labels was cannabis. It, and it was, it was, it was uh, painted on ceramic. It wasn't yes. a printed label. It was a ceramic right. label. Yeah, that was a great bureau. I mean, there so it listen, was. It was really so a listen, shock to see. Um, so tonight, our show is a celebration of the return to radio. Real radio. And radio as we call it today. It's just a catch-all term for listening to a, to a show. Okay? In this case, you're, you will be listening. You are listening to a live show. And in less than two hours, in, you will be listening to a live show. And after that, in less than two hours, hours, you're going to be listening to the man. Yes. And who do you, what do you mean by the man, Angel? Tell folks what you're, okay, tell folks the first time you heard Art Bell. Oh, I was a hmm. teenager. I was a kid. It was like early 90s. What was the, what was the, what was the setting? Well, it was more political stuff. In fact, it was funny because I heard, or only the reason I heard of Art Bell is because of the other people that I was listening to on radio, which of course was Neil Rogers, George Rodriguez, I've told you the story, uh, Phil Hendry, and yeah, I heard I heard Art Bell, and he was doing more political stuff, and he had done something within the paranormal ufology, and that's what sparked my interest in listening to his show. And I was like, this guy's great. He's talking about stuff that interests me, and nobody's yeah. talking about this. And, oh my and god! You were, how, you were how old? Oh, I can't. I don't remember. I was a teen. Early teen. teens, mid teens, wow. yeah, little, young teen, and it was one of those things where nobody else sounded like him on radio. Nobody else said, you know, the top or talked about the topics that he was speaking about at the time, and it was so completely different than the normal AM radio. Which I there's so many sleepless nights that I have in my life because of Art Bell. Yeah, really. So many from you thank yeah, because remember when I was a teenager. Yeah. When I was a teenager, especially in your you know your high school years, you, you, you have to get up like at 6 in the morning to go to school. You know, you have to get up really early yep. to be able to make it to school early. So school just sucks. imagine, Art Bell didn't get off air until like 4 in the morning sometimes. Right. Maybe even right. later. I would listen all the way through oh my God. most nights. So I would go to school the next day with like an hour of sleep or two hours of sleep. I would be like yeah. dead during the day. That ex so yeah, that would explains a lot. It does, doesn't <laughs> it? And, and I build this, this thing, which I still do to today. Uh, usually, you know, 
for the last 15 years, I've been very lucky that I get Sundays off from my day job. So I usually sleep in on Sunday, sleep like crazy just to get, you know, yeah. that rest that I don't get during the week. And I still do it now, believe it or not. But I started that when I was young, thanks to Art Bell, because I was up all night, thanks to the man. And when I say the man, I mean he's the best at this, which what this is, is what we do, talk radio. There's, I don't think there's anybody better, and especially in this genre. I know, I know, and now, but, but listen, man. now everybody can hear him no matter what time of the day you want to listen, no matter what kind of device you want to listen. If you can get it from your speakers, your ear speakers, your earphones into your ears, you will be able to become an Art Bell mm-hmm. subscriber and fan from two hours on. And, oh, my God, I loved the practice show so much because – I felt like this is real. And here's the other thing. We've been kind of supporting Art Bell's comeback through this wonderful site called Bell Gab. And um, the wonderful redacted basically created a blitz. And everybody came up with different tasks they could do. And it was very successful. And and last week I was flying off the wall because we had launched our part of the blitz, basically, Bella Haven, a place to talk about art after Art's show. And so forth. It was wonderful. Well, um, as a female member of the audience. I feel like I have just given birth to a baby and I could sit back now and relax, enjoy it. I really feel that Art, when he starts talking in two hours, will not need us anymore. I mean, we could be fans and stuff, but he won't, you know, in other words, we, you know what we've been doing? We've been bricking up his exit. He, every time he wants to turn around and take two steps backwards, we were bricking up the path, you know, like, and now he turns around and there's no way to go but forward. He has to go forward. He has to do it because, <laughs> you know, we've been supporting him, but we've also been wanting him. We've so much been wanting him to um, come back. Everybody has personal reasons. Right. I think the creativity is flowing all around because his show last night had the best call-ins I have ever heard. God, I don't know where they got these people for a practice show. There was a guy in And they had, like, good audio, too, like, with nice headsets. Well, that's that's my biggest worry because, A, was it, do you think, weather that was causing that or being hammered by numbers that these guys didn't plan on? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's a that's a ah. good question. I think it was weather. I know Keith uh, told me it was weather uh, related. Uh, they did have some technical issues, and you know something that surprised me, and uh, I'm kind of disappointed in some of the fans that listened in yesterday. Uh, there was a lot of negativity towards Redacted online, uh, well, and I, I don't understand that because she's fine. She's a, she's a good co-host. She's she's really good on radio. Okay, uh, very nice person. You know, I don't understand um, all the negative wouldn't, comments. Wouldn't you agree with me? Uh, we have we have our disputes, but wouldn't you agree with me that if Art Bell comes up with an idea and and throws it out in, in, in his practice, just he's throwing out everything against the wall for the practice to see if anything breaks, don't you think if he has an idea after all of these years in radio, it might be worth waiting five days to hear you how know, the idea right? pans out? Just, I'm oh. just saying, it's Art Bell, yeah. you know? Am I right? Am I right? Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about right? the other guy here. We're not talking about Angel. the other guy. Angel, you want to say that in a full sentence? Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Let me finish. We're not talking about the other guy here. We're <laughs> talking about Art Bell. So, Nancy Burns, yes, you're right. Okay, I'm going to grab that soundbite. <laughs> I'm going to play that every time I talk to you. Okay, in the 15 minutes we have left before yeah. we bring in our guests, I just wanted to say, I want to go back to this thing, and it's that why disclosure the whole disclosure movement now in the UFO land is late to the party. Okay, but wait. People but also, wait, wait, wait. Want, point, want, point, point out also that the thing that just came out today, the Stephen Hawking thing, comes out the day arts broadcasting. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
that happened Good today. Connection. It was fascinating. Yeah. It was in the Washington Post. And uh, it was a lot about SETI being funded now more than it was so they could keep their radio telescopes on for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So it's nothing. exciting. Well, I... It may be that somewhere out there is an intelligent signal, but because if somebody were listening, <laughs> there will gazillion, be in two hours. No, a gazillion light years, <laughs> a gazillion light uh, light years away on a distant planet, and we're picking us up. They would in say, "In the wow, kingdom of Nye, this is a signal that we're getting. Power they on. know we're here." Yeah, <laughs> but the reason they're late to the disclosure party is that in nineteen fifty. And speaking of party, this is in fact the beginning well, two hours ago was the beginning. I missed the gab cast. I'm sorry, I'll pick it up in reruns. Um everybody's been drinking and doing other stuff, so yeah. Oh, it must be Purim. Yeah, but, and I'll be doing uh, other stuff later on when art's on. I'll just be listening and, and oh, I'll be doing yeah. other stuff. Oh, and I'll yeah. be in bliss and it'll be like heaven again because and that then voice call, And then is call Bellahaven. Call Bellahaven before you go to bed. You have not called in yet. And I, I was going to do that yesterday. And you know what? I actually was going to call in. I started listening. And there, you guys had calls, which was great. You, got, you actually had yeah. people calling in. Uh, it was fun. I was I actually just sat there like a fan and listened. And then after a while, it was so late that I just you know knocked out. But. Well, hey. here's the here's the problem. Congratulations, Angel. though you, you're doing oh, a you. fantastic job on Bella Haven. Thank you, thank you. Here's the problem. Do you hear that? When All thanks to me, by the way. Go ahead. I know, and that's why I have to ask you this very critical question <laughs> right now because you heard our Bell having Skype problems. You heard me having Skype problems. You have less Skype problems than the average person. But can I ask you really quickly? Art Shoot. kept saying, and I kept saying. The, uh, sometimes you get a third option, a plus sign, and when you hit that plus sign, when when the person calls in, you can put them right in smoothly. Sometimes you don't get that option, and then you have to jiggle stuff. Ah, here's the, here's the issue. When that happens, uh, that means you didn't initiate the original call. Exactly. No, they, they I didn't called initiate you. any of them. Yep, that's the problem. If you don't initiate the first call on Skype, if you're not the one that calls, like your co-host or whoever you're calling, I am. you know, I out, am. Well, on that case, somebody called you first, or they were on the line and you no, what called I'm saying them is, and they were on the I, line. What I'm saying is every time a call comes in, it comes in in two ways to the Mac world, and I know Keith knows this. Um, but see, Keith is Mac, but Art is PC. So I think That's the problem crazy, lies – That's crazy, isn't it? I, I'll it's tell like you what it is. I, I think the problem lies in Skype itself when it made its apps for the different – all the different ways you can use the Skype app. Some of them, I don't think, allow the call to come into a group. And so you have, let's say, an older Skype app on an older uh, Android on an older iPad. It's not going to give you that option because you have not upgraded the whole thing. You have to upgrade huh. everything that is connected to Skype because many, many uh, – Bateman, okay, Steve Warner, he's going to be in tonight. He tried to call in a couple different times to the show, and I, if I get the poor – it says Steve Warner, but I only have the two options, red phone or green phone. But when it so comes you don't, in – So you don't get the option that says add to call? No, not at all. You That's see, and the you, only you initiate the call. I'm telling you, no, initiate the call tonight and you'll see how it works. No, I didn't initiate the others either. I do initiate the show call. I call Lasha. I, and, and then everybody calls us on our number, which we have. Which, oh, I don't know. Give, out, give out the PSN number. They're asking. And, okay, now there's a PSN chat. Okay, go to PSN.com. Okay, give your, okay PSNradio.com, right? No, 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 no. Hyphen? PSN. What, no. Hopefully one day she'll learn this one, Bill. It's been two right. years now. Maybe one day. PSN-radio.com. That's a hyphen. That's a hyphen. That's <laughs> hyphen. I put, the, I put the hyphen into Bellahaven in your honor. Because I know. I, really, I saw that. I didn't get the Bellahaven one word. So it's Bella-haven. Okay, so here's the thing. 
I'm not going to say that anymore. That's a verbal approach. <laughs> well, give the phone number in, in case anybody wants to call okay, in Okay, let tonight. me find I'm finding it. You, get you want it. me to just okay. say it? Because, yeah. Just say it. Just, it. just yeah. say it. 786-245-8127. If you guys want to call in, open lines. Again, 786-245-8127. That's east of the Rockies, west of the Rockies. Right. In the future, in the past, don't matter. Just but call listen, in. Guys, we'll be live. Listen, guys. It's a I, blast. I, 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 hate, I hate to be this way, but tonight, don't call in because... Oh, Jesus. Why did I give the number in? then? Because <laughs> I, because I'm trying to be a good team player, but here's why. Hey, yeah, but that's when, defeating the purpose, though. When you like, hear give, our give the number, but don't call in. Don't call in because put it give right. The, put the give number, the numbers, but don't call get in. Get the number. <laughs> get the number. Put into your number book and plan on it. Call in later. But you're not going to want to interrupt Joel Martin. That's my job. And you're not going to want to interrupt Steve Warner. Okay. Okay. Uh, and in fact, you know, the, and, and so go to the chats, guys. Go to psn-radio.com. You'll get to the chat easily. Open it up. Rose Girl used to always be in that chat. I don't wonder if she still is. Let's go and see. Shall I don't know what ha- I don't know what happened to Rose Girl. To be honest, she's Lasha. I know she's never in the chat anymore. Oh, let's now go she's see now. Lasha. She's too good for the chat. Okay, if you yeah. have a question, if you have a question for Joel, or you have a clay, uh, a question for Bateman, put it in the chat. Go on Twitter. Find yeah. Nancy on Twitter. Put your questions in Twitter. No Twitter. Put your questions okay. in the chat. Okay. No Twitter. Why Twitter no Twitter? Day. Because open there's too Twitter much day. to do. There's too much to do. Hey, Rose Girl's in there. All right. Look at that. Okay. That? So, but go to chat. Some. Oh, what is the chat uh, URL for folks to get right. in? Yeah. Okay. When you go to I'll give it. I'll give it. I'll give it. PSN-radio.com forward slash listen dash chat dash live. All one word. Good. Okay. And uh, for, and or. Yeah, now, right. For the slackers <laughs> on Belgab who are right now in the Gabcast because there's a concurrent party right now, and I don't want to stomp on their party, but MV is really cool about this. He says there's millions of channels. Stomp. Do anything. And so he's yes. conducting a party right now, and that you go to the Gabcast at uh, – go to bellgab.com. There's a Gabcast button there, and uh, there's also Bella Haven. Um chat and i don't even know how to give you that so you you know you'll figure it out in a couple doesn't, of days the website will be done what doesn't future theater have a chat no okay it does but okay here's where it is it's at you know you know nancy you know what's the funny thing what you don't, you don't laugh at this uh lou is in the chat room secretly messaging me and telling me what the phone number is like i don't know the number well of course i asked him to <laughs> no i asked him to, to tell it to the whole chat room Hey, and guess what? We're no, but he private people. he private messaged me. That's, that was the funny part. I know because he, because he's really okay. Yeah, well, that's the that's the funny part. That's what I'm saying. He's being very <laughs> thorough. I think you might have been part. Of, you were probably part of a of group. Okay, so now here's the thing with Lou. He got in last night to the Art Bell practice show, and the that horrible yicky with the phones wrecked it. You know the blah 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 with the phones and the yeah, yeah, yeah. power. Okay, what's the weather like? In uh, has Keith told you what the weather was like tonight for himself to Art and all that? All, all you look. Know, I asked Keith earlier if everything was good with Art, but and the way I proposed it was I, I said, uh, Lord Roland. What is thy bidding for the evening? Because, you know, he is the Lord of the night. You have to. You have to. It's like a bow. Jedi thing. You have to. He's yeah. Lord yeah. Roland. No, and I asked I him. It, it, no, you can't. No, no, no. You can't make eye contact. Especially on the internet. It's kind of hard you know, yeah, distance away. Yeah. But I asked him, I was like, is everything smooth and ready to go with art? And his answer was, hope you have a new pair of underwear on. Yeah, it's going to be blast from the air. It's going to be awesome. I know. I'm I so know. excited. I'm so excited. You have no idea. 
Okay, By the way, shout-outs shout outs to Euphonaut Radio's own Jesse Randolph is in the chat room once again. Shout-outs to him. Oh, nice. And shout-outs to Tim Beckley. He's going to be our guest coming up next week as soon as we get our coordinates right. And then, listen, guys, We after Tim Beckley, we have the next week Richard Grossinger, and you remember him from – uh, Richard C. Hoagland's show, he was the, like the co-guy. The He was the guy everybody was saying sounded like John Malkovich. And he has a complete ah. new age background. He makes Lasha look like a you know pencil-pushing scientist. Seriously, he's very out there. Okay, next week is, is a special treat for you, Angel, Philippe Mora. He is a filmmaker who did Communion. And he nice. worked and, and But the reason he's coming on. And then the following week, Nick Redfern. But Bill will tell you the reason Philippe's coming on. Philippe is coming on because he and I are working on a, on setting up a book right now on the life of Christopher Lee. And Christopher Lee's life before his film career was his film career. The, um, he was an executioner at the Nuremberg Trials. He was an assassin. He killed people with his own bare hands. He was a Nazi hunter. He killed Heydrich. Heydrich, of course, is one of the people um, who started the Holocaust. And he killed him. He was a cousin of Ian Fleming. And where Ian Fleming was in British naval intelligence, Royal Naval Intelligence, Christopher Lee was in RAF intelligence during the war. And he was friends with, he met him at Oxford. He was friends with him at Oxford, J.R.R. Tolkien. And, of course, he was Saruman in The Lord of the Rings 2 and 3. So... The fascinating thing about this is that Ian Fleming lived the life he portrayed in his later films. And the, he was very tall. And the fascinating thing about him, too, is that he was so tall and his hands were so big that the only role he could get when he wanted to go into films was the Frankenstein monster. Because the Frankenstein monster was supposedly seven feet tall. Interesting, so, huh? Interesting, interesting, a lot that's, of trivia, yeah, cool. and, and so that's what we're going to be developing, and it's how his early life modeled the films he was in, and right. uh, he now was a getting, writer, he was a right. songwriter, he was a singer, too. Uh, we're getting close to our, our break. We've only got four more minutes. Do you want to set up why we've asked, uh, you, you know, do you want to sure. further okay. set it up, or do you want to do something else? No, no, let's just set it up. We are... Leading into Art Bell's return to radio on Midnight in the Desert. And right, right. as the setup for that, what we wanted to do was talk about, Joel and I have been wanting to do this book for a while, is to talk about the beginnings of the genre we're all in. This didn't just come with the Big Bang in the universe. It came with a number of key people exploring the envelope of reality and call it extra reality, beyond reality. And Joel Martin is one of those people. Right. Joel began, Joel had his own paranormal talk radio show. <clears throat> he worked for a local radio station. He is one of the major people, one of the first alongside Long, uh, Long John Neville to interview people like great mediums. Uh, he had Yuri Geller. He had people like that on parapsychologists. He was friends with Malachi Martin. But, but didn't he start out as a political ordinary? He, he switched over to it. And when John Batchelor interviewed Art two days ago, I could sense a longing in John Batchelor's voice to be able to do, have the freedom to do the stuff that Art is doing. Right. Oh, by the way, by the way, if Art wants to call in, we will totally take the call. 
<laughs> right? Yeah, you think? It'll Seriously. be like, uh, everybody else, hold. Art Bell's Yeah. On. Yeah, cool. Sorry, well, Joel let's, Martin. Let's cross our, let's Sorry, cross Steve our, Warner. Let's cross Art our Bell. fingers. We'll cross all our fingers. Fingers and toes, Nancy. Fingers yes. and toes. So, 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 so that's the basis for this. And, of course, Steve Warner was fascinated by this. And so when I spoke to Steve last night, I said, look, why don't you come in? Interview Joel, talk to Joel, ask him the questions you want to ask. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be filming in Manhattan on Friday for my Dr. Feelgood book for Asylum Television for E. So I'm going to be doing that series uh, coming up this fall. And so I, I may see, I, I may see uh, Steve Warner Bateman uh, in New York. And then Rick Lertzman, my uh, co-author for Dr. Feelgood and for Mickey Rooney, I know, I know. He's going to be doing the filming for this in Los Angeles in August. And so we're going to be the uh, hosts, partly the hosts and the commentators on this E-Network show on Dr. Feelgood, Max Jacobson. And ideally, they'll Mm -hmm. do something on Mickey Rooney, but we're also probably going to be doing something for TCM on Mickey Rooney in November after the book is out. So stay tuned for more news on that. And yeah, and I just got a criticism on Twitter you know, the people around you are oh, afraid geez. to say this, so I will. You step on everyone. Air check yourself and be open to criticism. I am. I'm trying to learn. Okay. And so Angel will, te- Angel mm. will tell you, I've gotten better. He's yeah, the critic in chief. Yeah. Okay, yes, so we should take our break now and come back with our guest, Joe Martin and Bateman. And so... On this very momentous night from the banks of Primrose Creek, we are co-host Bill and Nancy Burns on Future Theater on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio, hoping, asking everyone to stay with us, listen to these messages, stay with us for Joe Martin and Bateman talking about the history, the beginnings of paranormal talk show radio. See everybody on the other side. The UFO phenomenon either we like it or not is already very much part of our reality. I've been on panels with uh, military people who, you know, claim that they've seen the aliens buzzing our missile silos. They have very large eyes. You know, I found their stare extremely difficult to bear. This is Martin Willis, the host of Podcast UFO, and we are here on the Dark Matter Radio Network every Wednesday from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is my commitment to bring you an entertaining weekly show that takes a hard look at the UFO phenomena. Are they extraterrestrial? Well, are they interdimensional? Are they time travelers or something we have not even thought of yet? We explore these questions with interesting guests and witnesses from all around the globe. In addition, we bring you weekly UFO news with Open Minds TV, Alejandro Rojas. Thank you for listening, and remember, keep your eyes to the sky. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Here's a riddle for you. What do the California gold rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, 
mysterious 19th century flying machines and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A.A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954 That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Back on this very momentous evening, the return of Art Bell on Midnight in the Desert to radio. But we have our guest with us tonight, Joel Martin, my co-author for Haunting of the President, Haunting of the 20th Century, Haunting of the 21st Century, Edison's Last Invention, and our soon-to-be book, which is coming out next spring from Career Press. And uh, we will soon start up a book. We're, we're, we're actually beginning to researching a book on the beginnings of late night talk town, talk show, paranormal radio, a whole new phenomenon. And the big question is why? And joining us, too, is an inquiring mind who wants to know, Steve Warner at WABC, uh, who basically and also, also – And also Dark, one, dark Matter. And also Dark City – on the Dark Matter Digital Network. Uh, mm-hmm. He has his own show, so we're all together. So thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. And um, I'm just going to throw this right out there. Joel, why don't you start it off? With, and, oh, I forgot to tell everybody, Joel Martin is one of the pioneers of this particular genre with his own show out on Long Island in the New York market. More years than Joel wants to remember. So, so Joel... Why don't you tell us, in your opinion, as a historian of this, which is what you are, mm-hmm. how this all started and why? Frankly, it didn't start. The trouble is, it, it's, had, it's had such a, a troubled history for no reason whatsoever. There's been such prejudice against the paranormal and related subjects by religions, 
by science, by atheists and agnostics, that it's had to fight for everything it's had. The battles it's gone through alone are monumental. Um, I fell into it literally by accident, and I mean by accident. I had no idea what I was doing. And when I found out it was genuine in the very early 1970s, I was as stunned as you can imagine anyone being when he sees a ghost and says, oh, my God, it's real. Uh, And that's pretty much the way it happened. It has always been kind of verboten. It's been a subject that you didn't put on the air, radio or television, because of the fear that you were going to offend people. I remember... um, what what the, the famous TV uh, the name will come back to me that's another problem of getting older forgetting names the, well, a, a major TV producer once said I like the subject but I'm really afraid to do it on TV or radio same thing because I'll please 50 percent of my audience but I'll I'll tick off the other 50 percent I'll anger mm. the other 50 percent and I can't afford to do that. And the idea that this subject would anger people, would hurt people, would somehow turn people off, it, to me is just appalling. I'm a, I'm a free, I'm kind of a libertarian, and I'm a free speech advocate, very strongly. Even when I don't like what people say, which is almost all of the time, nice. especially about this. But I mean, John Neville had the same battle. Long John, who was a talk show host on this subject from 1956 to 1978, Rudy was the first to do it pretty much full-time. And he had his battles, too. And they did not want him on the air. They wanted him off. What happened is that we'll get into some detail, I'm sure, in a little while. But he uh, was on the radio at WOR for a long time, then WNBC, then WMCA. So he moved around in New York City. But the thing is that... uh, he found that the audience loved it. You know, it's that, that old old joke. Everybody hated it, but the, the people who were listening, and they really, really liked it. And, <laughs> well, and he he was a skeptic of it. And he really he really was a skeptic. He wasn't uh, he wasn't putting it on. John equated it with atheism, and John was not much into religion. He was a very elegant man, and he was a very smart man proving that going to college can sometimes be a huge waste of time because I don't think John even, I, I don't think he finished high school, but he was brilliant. He was a, a, a strong reader, an av- avaricious reader. He understood everything that was going on. He instinctively understood people and knew what to ask and how to ask. But when it came to this subject, he too had that blind spot. And uh, in my case, I found that it was better to not read anything at all, and I didn't. When I started in 1972, I started doing the show because a disc jockey at the radio station said, listen, you're pretty good at doing talk shows. And I remember saying in, in my head to myself, God, gee, they, they found something they can do. Thank you, God. <laughs> oh, God. I, I was the world's worst disc jockey. The news, the news you can only do so long before you can go bored out of your mind. And I remember this this young woman, Kathy, who was a disc jockey there, and she was an absolutely terrific person. She had a long career herself in broadcasting until she uh, retired. Um, she said, why don't you do something about psychic phenomena? And I swear to you as I'm sitting here, 
I had no idea what she was talking about. I said, right. I'm, forgive me, I don't know what that is. Nancy, tell me, what, right. what, what is psychic phenomenon? And Kathy said, well, you know, like ESP. I said, ESP. Now, remember, this is the early 70s, so I'm saying to myself and to, you know, other people around, ESP. Well, I, I remember LSD, I think. You know, I, I, I'm, putting letters, I'm putting letters again. Guilty. There was a CIA, there was LSD, there was a cop who chased me down the street. I, I, right. don't, know what, I, don't, know, I don't know ESP. And she said, you know, mind reading. I said, oh, that, oh that, nobody believes that. She said, oh, they believe it. They believe it, honey. You put it on the radio, and I will bet you a week's salary or two or ten that they'll believe it. And I put it on the air because she gave me the name of two psychics, people she knew, a couple, husband and wife. And the husband and wife came, and they were devastatingly accurate, although to this day I never figured out how. But they were, and there's no way they could have known the things they knew. It's always that, well, they could have done research. I wasn't even from Long Island where the station was. And I, I, I came out to Long Island to reinvent myself, not to open up about anything. So I... You know, I, I was doing what a lot of people in broadcasting do. You kind of uh, hide who you were. I came from a, you know, I came through a bad marriage and I came through all kinds of grief. So I, I wasn't about to tell anybody anything. Good Lord! And here I am sitting on the radio and they're exposing. <laughs> they're exposing. I know it's a weird, yard. weird, weird dichotomy between being a private person and also loving doing this. It's very That's strange. Right. Yeah. It is. It yeah. really is. How did yeah. John get into? Uh, what prompted Long John Neville to start back in the 50s? Well, Long John Neville was really a pitchman. But back then, in the 1940s and 50s, Long John was just an absolutely amazing salesman. He had come through the Depression doing a, a, you know, handling or holding a series of jobs, mostly as a salesman, camera salesman, a wristwatch salesman, literally. And uh, during those years, it was possible to do that. And Long John was from Chicago. They weren't poor people, not by any means. His mom was in the medical field. His father, too, had uh, some income. So they came to New York. They moved here when he was a young man. He got a job as close to show business as he could. He was an usher at the Paramount, the famous Paramount Theater in New York. That was as close as he could come as a boy, as a young, very young man. And he didn't really apply to be on the radio. What happened was he was selling uh, what they call in French tchotchkes. Uh, it's, it's, it's an old French word for junk. Anything he could, any, he, John could sell anything. He could right. sell a, a, a knife to a spoon. He could sell a, you know, a, a, a jar to a glass. <laughs> He didn't care, and he was good at it. He was just mm. brilliant. If, if you have heard some of his early, early tapes, this is in the early fifties. He really was good, and people would gather in this tent, and it was really a big tent. And the tent said, "You know, come on in, great sales." And John had, he had an answer for everything, and a fast mouth and a quicker mind. It was just extraordinary. And uh, one one night, just to give you an example of the, of the kind of things that John could say, one night he's selling wristwatches, junk wristwatches. I mean, not Timexes that never stop or, or Rolexes that, you know, are expensive, some kind of junk. And he, he uh, stands there and he's selling them. And he says, and these are 16 jewel watches. I cannot impress upon you the importance of the jewels in making a watch. And he went on and mm -hmm. on. Right. And somebody says to him in the audience, some, some wise Alex says, 
what the heck do you need jewels for in a wristwatch? I just want to know if it has two handles and it tells me the time. Mm-hmm. And John is now, he's caught short because he, honest to God, doesn't know what, what the, the jewel does in a wristwatch. It didn't do anything, actually. It just sounded good. And for mm-hmm. years, that's the, way, that's the way, as you know, wristwatches were sold. Sure. But John, wow. John was so sharp. John says, sir, we are now just about six years after World War II, after the Holocaust, after the most devastating loss of life this world has ever known, and you dare to stand there and tell me anti-Semitic stories to say to these people that you have questions about Jews? How dare you? <laughs> That's exactly what he did. And he well, turned the thing, he turned it around from jewel to Jew, and he sold every watch. And you know what? You know what, you guys? You know what Art Bell did last night? He took, a, he did a practice show, and he took real calls from all around the world. And one woman Unscreened. was talking. Yeah, Unscreened. she was talking. Yeah, but oh. and and he's kind to people. He listens closely. So one woman called in, and there was a problem with uh, feral children, and so. Suddenly, another caller calls in. This is not Phil Hendry. This really happened. The call, the other second caller called in, worrying about sterile children. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and yeah, Art Bell that, ran with it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the problem in broadcasting. That's the upside and the downside. It's fascinating to listen, but if you're behind the microphone and you're trying to make some sense out of it, it it can get a, it really can get a bit a, a bit tricky. So. Who should be driving by while he's selling in the tent? Somebody who really was a, an executive at WOR, which then was mm. part of a, something that is now defunct, but it was called the Mutual Broadcasting System. It was a major radio network like NBC, CBS, ABC. And when the guy heard John Nebel selling, he just absolutely flipped. He said, my God, this, this man could sell one side of a pancake to the other side. I've never, I've never heard anything like this. This is just unbelievable. So he approached John Neville after his spiel and after the people left and after the tent was closed. And he said, how do you do? I'm so-and-so. Here's my business card. Would you get in touch with me? I think I have a job for you that you might like, hmm. meaning being on radio. And radio then, frankly, had tremendous import. Now you'll find somebody like Art Bell, You'll find for many years a Don Imus or a Howard Stern. But by and large, you're not going to find huge numbers of people who have name recognition who are on radio. Uh, it, it just is not the same media. It always survives, but it kind of has to change form. Well, well um, Steve Warner is, um, works at ABC, I think, in, in your day job or your night job, right? Right, right. And yeah, you it's, d- it's more for the network, but yeah, I'm, I'm based out of WABC. But you're watching Dub everything happen. WABC. Ha- right, and you're watching everything happen, yeah. and yet, and yet, you're building your own home studio from scratch, right. and you're basically learning how to do this the way our, we're all learning from Art Bell, how to build a whole new world of radio in For which sure. we can let Joel talk, in our case, on Future Theater, thanks to Angel and PSN-radio.com. And the Dark yeah. Matter Digital. And the Dark Matter Digital Network. Thanks the to them. You can get this show. It's in an archive. I've done a fabulous job on the website. And just look up Joel Martin. Listen to his other shows. Look up Steve Warner. Listen to the show we did with him. And also yes. fall in love with both these guys. And the fact is, no, we have no bosses except for the Lord Honorable Roland. Lord Roland. Yeah. Yes. And in fact, Art Bell has to bow down to him too because we no, won't no. go into it Art, here because he, 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 he. No, I think Art Bell knows. He's the overboss. 
Ortville knows he's not going to get from here to there without a vehicle. And, and I hate to say this, but Keith is the machine. He's the machine that's making all this happen. He sure. sort of acts he is, like... He is like a Terminator. He is like a Terminator. Yeah, he is like a Terminator. Yeah. Well, actually, that's what we worry about every week. <laughs> Terminator. And well, so, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, well, so... Joel, Joel, if I can, well, if I can just jump in here... Um, yeah. Long John Neville, so he was the consummate salesman, it sounds like. Did that that carry over into his broadcasting? Was he coming at any of these paranormal topics, though, from from any particular point of view, pushing a a particular agenda? Or or tell me about his presentation. His presentation was extraordinary. Now, remember, John had never been on the radio. That's what made it. I'm listening to what Nancy is saying, and that's what makes it so extraordinary. Some of the very best people over the years have been people who really were pioneers, but so much so that they had never had any broadcast experience, and they kind of invented a world. The world they invented then became the world for those of us who came after to follow. And John had not had any broadcast experience, not not really. He didn't even want to go on the radio. But this fellow who was the executive and then another executive really confronted him and, and pushed him. And finally, to make a long story short, he tried. He failed the first couple of times, but they saw in him uh, a light, uh, a, a potential, if you will, and eventually they convinced him to have a, a talk show. They asked him to play music all night long, and John was saying to himself, yeah, fat chance, kid, fat chance, wow. and that's true. The disc jockey who had been on before him was fired because he talked too much. Then wow. they had on a fellow, yeah, they, well, then they had on a fellow by the name of Gene Shepard, who some of you may remember. Oh, I love oh, yeah. Gene Shepard. Sure, the, oh. great, the great rock and tour. And he was a he was a hell to work with. I worked with him once on wow. public television, and it was wow. it was not pretty. I mean, oh God, it was like worse than my first mother-in-law. Oh God, uh-huh. it was. It was <laughs> he, he gave no no peace. I mean, <laughs> no, nothing at all except grief. But he was brilliant on the air. You know, you you put on a persona. Let, you know, let's be honest, Johnny Carson had it, David Letterman had it. You don't want to know them personally, but when you're on the air or you see them on the air, they become another person or other people. And yeah. uh, this is what happened with John. So when they convinced finally, John, they convinced John to go on the air, he goes on the air, but he doesn't play music. He plays less and less of it every night, and he mm-hmm. talks more and more. But he, he too, was a raconteur. He could talk. He was amazing at speaking. That was his. That was his gift and selling, as you just mentioned. Well, and, how, did uh, he, how did he veer into the paranormal? Yeah, or I'm did it tell come you, to him? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I tell you right now, what happened was he was trying to come up with a subject. He was trying to come up with a for, you know what we would call a format. If you were a classical music station, you play that. Or if you were a right. top forty station, you play that. Right. He needed to find some, or a hillbilly music station, as they call them, way back then. He needed a, a stick. He needed something to come up with that would be a format, a, 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 an approach. You remember now? We're talking about 1956. This is 1955, 1956. Uh, Lucille Ball was big on television, and Jackie Gleason was big, and Ed Sullivan. But he had to come up with something that would really stand out as unique. You couldn't touch religion. It was too sensitive. It's not like today. You, that was out of the question. Right. Sex, you, you didn't even think of mentioning sex. Uh-huh. That was also out of the question. <laughs> well, Almost every, every major subject that would be controversial or of interest was out of the question. The only thing he could come up with was what they called way back then the occult. 
flying saucers and the occult, mm. mm-hmm. because that, even if it was offensive, was not dangerously offensive. And mm. so he came up with it simply because that's what was available. He mm-hmm. simply, frankly, he fell, he fell into it simply because it was something that he could do that nobody else was daring to do. Mm-hmm. There were several late-night radio talk shows on at the time. The best was Barry Gray's, who's been my role model, the late Barry Gray, was my role model in, in my life, and John Neville, too. If you wanted to learn how to interview, which is what I wanted to do, Barry Gray was by far and away the best. Not on this subject. They hated, they hated this subject. But John said, oh, what the heck, I'll do it. And they went nuts, the management. Nancy, they went absolutely, they went berserk. They did not want him to do the subject, the, the, meaning the occult, psychic phenomena, whatever. The flying saucers, UFOs, they didn't want any of it. But there was a response. And that's one thing you learn in broadcasting. If you don't get the station sued and you get a response, well, who cares? You, you, you can sit yeah. there and, you know, wow. have a love affair with your favorite sheep. Wait, wait, I mean, say, listen say, to that, Nancy. Say, listen say to that, that Nancy. Close. Say that again. Nancy. Yeah, say listen that again closely. for all of us. Yes, Say yes. that once again. If. Listen, Nancy. Yes, right. <clears throat> Go ahead, Joe. Oh, if. if, if this, is, this is a rule. They, they, they told us to me, too, and, and he heard the same thing, uh, John Neville. If you don't get us sued and you get us ratings, we don't give a damn what you do. <laughs> if you want to sit there and talk yep. to your pet dog or, or have a love affair with your sheep, but don't make it too sensuous, fine. Anything you want to do, just so we don't get in trouble with the FCC and we don't have any big lawsuits and uh, we don't, you know, tick off too many people and it's as stupid as I think it is, knock yourself out, have a good time. <laughs> That's especially, what they said to me. <laughs> especially, really, especially when there's an audience. Really, people are listening. If people are responding, that means you're selling the product. And he was, John knew how to sell a product. There are some, if you've heard, if some, of, some of you folks have heard some of the early tapes, perhaps, of John. And if somebody said, did it carry over? One of you guys asked me, did it carry over when he was doing the commercials on the show? It carried over. So much so that some of his commercials, just the commercials, became classics. And they ran on for several minutes. They didn't run for 30 seconds or 60 seconds. And there was a James Bond movie that came out in the early 60s. And the lead character in it was a a very attractive girl. The character's name was Pussy Galore. Well, do I have to tell you the fun he had with that name <laughs> for an hour or more? I mean, it's just for oh, Best no, character no. name ever, by the way. That's the Joe, best character Joe, name. how did he... 1963, that was... That and I would say a lot of vagina. That was also a really great name. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's an Austin, that's an Austin Powers Austin name. Powers, but... See, yes, that's correct. the difference in the humor of the two. I don't think the second is nearly as funny. Because it's coarser, and, and comedy has become very coarse. But, Joel, yes. could you just quickly tell us, how did he stretch a commercial into three minutes and make it interesting or fun? How did he do that? That, that was his gift. He'd, he'd start by, by talking to people as if they were his good friends. Folks, I want to I talk to you about something that I find to be really important. This is not just me selling you something that you don't need. You need this. You need this wristwatch, and I, let me tell you why. And then he'd wow. go on, and that would take wow. a minute. <laughs> and then he'd go on, and there'd be another minute. Well, did the advertisers like that format in his hands? 
I mean, in other words, was that successful? Was that successful? It was successful for him. It didn't work. What he did, that's another another key of broadcasting, the people who are the most successful seem to be, honestly, the most bizarre, the most unusual, and frankly, if you want to call them, you know, odd or weird, fine, you know, I've been called... Welcome back, Art. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Art, Art, too. Art, too. Art takes it very... Art takes it very seriously. John took it very seriously. I made sure that I took the subject seriously, not because I I, I had any particular bias for it or against it. I didn't know what the heck I was talking about. I, I didn't have a clue. Uh-huh. I would I could sit there and in, in my I could say my guest is the nation's top expert on UFOs. Bill mm. Burns. Bill, you've written a number of books. You've talked about UFOs. What the heck? What the heck is a UFO? I, because I really don't know. Is there a difference between that and a flying saucer? And then from that point on, Bill answers. And once mm-hmm. Bill answers, I'm listening very carefully to see if within his answer I can find the next question. And on we go. And you'd be wow. amazed how fast the time you know just flips by. It it just goes right by. I thought and, that was the mark of a person who didn't do a, the proper research. And every time I do that, which is all I really do, mm-hmm. I always kind of berate myself for not having a list of things off on the side to ask because I'm so concentrating on not getting – they're not getting the story because I would have lost my job if I didn't get the story. So I'm only concentrating well, on where I can hook in to get the next question. I got to get the story. Yes. Yeah. I understand. Uh, no, I understand that. That's. Uh, I. I know exactly what you're talking about. But you see, there was nobody telling John Abel what to do. Radio, oh. unlike television, there were had very small staffs. It still does. You, you ha- if you're lucky, you have. I had a producer, a production assistant, and an engineer. That was a big, big. That was a huge staff for a radio show. Um, TV is another story. Most mm. of the people who are on TV, who are hosting talk shows, are not. Frankly, they are not the brightest, and they're very easily distracted. There's way too much cosmetic stuff involved. In other words, makeup and how you look, and if your nose is shiny. And they are more interested in, in the ego and the, uh, the, the, the the aesthetics of it than they are in the actual subject matter. On radio, you can get into the subject matter. So when when Bill says no, UFO is the new the new term for flying saucer. We don't call them flying saucers. That's simply uh, a reflection of when they had a particular shape. Oh, shape. So are they always in that round shape? Mm-hmm. You see, so I, I, I get the next, I get the question nice. from your answer. And nice. Because if I was to try to sit and to research everything, I cannot be sure. I can only be sure that I'm going to try to stay on subject. I'll try to stay on point to the extent that if we're talking about UFOs, I don't veer off and, you know, start talking about, you know, how much I've paid in alimony or child support. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a limit to what, 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 you, what you should do to, to go far, far afield. And John was smart. John mm-hmm. Nebel didn't have just one guest on where he spoke to somebody for a few moments and then gone. If you put on, notwithstanding your interest in politics or not, but put on MSNBC or Fox Television or any of those, and if you listen at night and watch watch the technique and watch the, the style, they'll, they'll take six, seven, eight minutes for an interview with somebody, and then boom, it's over, and they're on to the next thing. We had longer attention spans years ago as a public, and also people listened more attentively, and radio is better for talk than television is by far. Radio what, what is if- far better. 
but what if our short attention span is because they're only giving us short sound bites that's or they're only exactly giving us right. headlines? It's not even that's our right. fault. That's no, why people not. are okay. When Long John, not sorry, when uh, Art Bell was interviewed two nights ago, Steve Warner set it all up with John Batchelor. Okay, do you know him? Oh yeah. Okay, so, so, and one of the most brilliant things they talked about was that Art Bell is bringing back, and John Bachelor was like, glory be, the long form, uh, Steve, could you tell that more better? Yeah, uh, basically, John, John, uh, what what you were saying actually (laughs) before before Joel came on was, uh, you got this sense that John uh, kind of longs to do these more esoteric, more unusual topics. And I think that's true of, of a lot of these radio hosts who do get tired with, uh, with the political topics. Um, you can hear somebody like Mark Levin scream and rant and rave every single night, and you think to yourself, it, it, it's getting old to the audience. It must be getting old to the host, too. It does. It, it really and, does. And John Batchelor, he's, he's a big fan of Art Bell, and, and Batchelor is pretty... Uh, straight down the middle, whether he's doing scientific topics, whether he's doing um, esoteric history, he's, he just plays it straight down the middle. And he's, he's been incorporating a lot more uh, space, space talk uh, mm-hmm. into, into his programs. And oh. he, he really appreciates the fact that uh, if he can spend an hour or two hours, he's been, he's been doing four-hour book reviews just in the last uh, wow. year or two. God bless him. Yeah, I mean, he, seriously. He I devours. Mean, he devours all of those books too. Um, yeah, well, I always but, read. But I the, always read a book. If, if I had an author on, I would read the book because I just would felt. Uh, I felt too ignorant otherwise. Frankly, not the subject so much, but I wanted to know what the this particular individual was saying. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, that's all right. But the, well, that's my the job. Audience, the, well, the audience longs for that long-form format, but the hosts do, too. There's, there's only so much you can get to in six, seven, eight, that's nine right. minutes. But the management is so stupid. What Nancy said is exactly what the case is. What you have are people who are program directors, so-called. Most of them come out of uh, colleges, and frankly, they're young people. And they really don't have very much experience in communication. Think about it. Think about the people who went into show business in an earlier generation. But most of those people, and they, they, you were lucky if you got, if they got into junior high and out of junior high, it was amazing. I, I mean, you couldn't name, you couldn't name three of them who had a college education, not even a high school education. And John Nebel being, you know, a, a good example. Barry Gray being another example. But they had something, something that the, these kids don't have today and that was a very quick instinct and the instinct was to know how to read people and to read them in a hurry it was like the guy who got up there you know like a don rickles you know don rickles can get up there and he could do a shtick you know now it's funny because he's like 88 or something but that's basically what he did milton burrow uh, james cagney i saw in an old movie on turner classic recently it, it they just knew instinctively what to do that's the way you learn to entertain but what's happening now which i deplore and i'm obviously on art bell side and john bachelor's side in terms of long form what i deplore are the idea that you have these program directors and the ideas come from them and they have learned someplace in some media research class they have learned 
not only have they learned where extraterrestrials come from, but they've learned that the average attention span of the Earthling is only six minutes and nine seconds. And so no interview may be more than six minutes and nine seconds. I mean, I... I, I don't. You, I cannot tell you how frustrating it is. I can only give you one one quick story. I'll make it as fast as I can. The night that John no, Lennon no, was. No, no, we're not. We're, no need to rush. We have a perfect oh, no, show, I, well, show tonight. Right. Okay, yeah. okay, go ahead, Joe. Oh, all right. I'll. I didn't want to, you know, take too much time. Um, but I, the night that John Lennon was murdered, obviously was a, a monumental night. Now, I had a talk to her, remember, on a music station. That's what made it more bizarre to make it more difficult for me. I was supposed to get ratings equal to the music or better than the music, and the music people hated me. I was indifferent to them, and they despised me because the talk show ratings, when I said, tonight we'll be speaking to the afterlife, and I would say it very seriously. And I always sounded older and serious and depressed anyway, so it worked out, it worked out perfectly. So I remember going on the air and saying, listen, we're going to change subjects. We were supposed to be doing black holes in outer space. Let's put that aside, and let's take phone calls from the kids and, you know, people listening. So I had a large young adult audience. Let's talk about their reaction to the death of John Lennon, the death of the Beatles. Do you know they had an assistant program director at the station I was at at the time? And this idiot comes in, he says, you can't, you can't take calls and do that. And I said, why, why can't I do that? He said, because I know from the homework I've done, from the research I've done, meaning when he went to school, because he, he was young enough to still have zits. I mean, he was an idiot. He, he tells me, uh, I, I, I know from what we learned at, at, the, at the college uh, or university or whatever he attended, uh, kids won't talk. They, they don't want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. I said, I, I, were you born stupid or did you fall on your head as a child? I mean, you just, just tell yeah. me which one. And yeah. with that, I, uh, yeah. the end of the story is I went for anger management at some point when I left that <laughs> station because I, was, I thought I was going to go out of my mind. I really seriously did. Uh, I took yeah. the telephone, I picked it up, and I threw it at him. I said, oh. listen, I, I, well, I honest <laughs> to God did. I just, I just tossed it across the table. I said, listen, listen, jerk, this is the deal. If there are no calls, if every, if every line isn't filled tonight for the next three hours wow. talking about John Lennon, and plus I had interviews with some of the ex-Beatles, and I had interviews with their friends, and I had, uh, you know, the music obviously interspersed. If I don't keep three hours of talk show going, with phone calls, tomorrow morning I'll give you my resignation. You won't have to fire me. On the other hand, if I'm right, please just shut up and stay out of my damn business. That's all. All right? Don't don't come in here before you find out whether it's successful or not. Why don't you give, give me a chance? So we have this battle. P.S. Do I have to tell you? As soon as I said, I'm Joel Martin tonight at midnight here, Let's talk about the incredible story that uh, is dominating the news and will for a long time, mm-hmm. the death of John Lennon. I pointed to my engineer, and we played a little bit, a, a little bit wow. of, the, of the song Imagine, yeah. you know. And yeah. then we brought the music down, and I said, the phone lines are open. Give me a call from wherever you are in the New York area. Uh-huh. The phone calls, Nancy, were, wow. they were monumental. There were so many calls, the lines could not accommodate them. Well, oh, the, the assistant PD, he, he lived through our argument. It, it, it did not kill him. <laughs> but he did, apolog- he did apologize. He said, how did you, this is the point. He said, how did you know it was going to be that popular? I said, where is your brain? You're supposed to be in the entertainment business. Exactly. 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 I don't get it. 
And, and that's you know what? what? I mean, had he but, heard of the Beatles and John Lennon? But guys, exactly. guys, guys, to what bring rock it around was he to, living under? Let me bring this around to tonight. Yeah. Uh, the Art Bell fan groups that are basically um, listening tonight. Um, listening. Art had asked around July 1st, he said, um, on the 4th of July, just go out there and try to get the word out. It would really help me because, remember, he's rolling this whole thing himself. Sure. And the fan group, one of the things they did, thanks to this guy named Josh, was the fan group started to call all the radio stations. Now, Art Bell's not been on the air yet. It's not coming on the air yet. And right now, he's got one of the top 25 stations in the country who, who's going to bump, you know, change their schedule, put him on live, even though he's not doing this for that. And an additional, say, 2021. And this is before he's even broadcast. So it, that's a unique uh, that's a fan club. That, that's what people were saying. That's what sure. you, Bateman, were, Steve, were saying last night. There will not be ever again a fan club of a guy who left radio. How did it say how you said it? Well, Steve? if Rush Limbaugh, there, there are only yeah. another three or four people that you can think of off the top of your head who are anywhere near what Art Bell is in terms of a talent and also just, just raw audience numbers. You've got Art, you've got Rush, you've got Howard Stern. That's right. And... And who else, really? You know, no, who else? Nobody. So frankly, it, nobody. If Rush, if Rush Limbaugh went off the air tomorrow, I guarantee you there would not be a RushGab.com that pops up where people are talking about his interviews that he did from from years back on, on a yeah. daily basis. That's and, right. And right. Right. He was off the air for two years, and he was off the air for a couple years before that. And Belgab was a thriving community and obviously continues to be a thriving community. Yes. And that's a testament to Art Bell's skills as a broadcaster that are just um, beyond what any, any normal broadcaster who gets into it could, could possibly hope for. That's right. No, that's exactly right. And the reason is, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to play, you know, teacher student right now. But I mean, if you think about it, we could probably come up with the answers very quickly. Art Bell has the style there's substance to what he's saying because he's done his homework. He also knows how to ask questions, even if he doesn't know what the subject is. I mean, we're not going to pretend to know as much about UFOs as, as Bill does. I mean, that, that's just plain, you know, foolish. But I can certainly ask a question, and he is able to do that. So he knows how to do long-form interviews. He knows how to bring people together around the table. He has style. He takes it seriously, or at least... His persona is to make it seem that he does, and I suspect he does. And he, he sounds like he really does give a darn about it. And all of those things add up to a good broadcaster, especially if the broadcaster is somebody who's so unique and is doing a subject or has a style that nobody else does. Years ago, they used to want that in broadcasters. They would want to, I'm going way, way back, when Bill and I do the book about late-night radio, you know, you'll, you, you read about or you hear about people like Arthur Godfrey, who was a, one of the worst SOBs probably who ever lived, but he was incredible on the radio, and he could sell anything. He sold more Lipton tea, literally, than probably every other salesman for Lipton in the whole country. And that's the way it was, because these were people who knew how to communicate, and that's the word. It's, it comes down to that. But they were always scared of this subject. And if we're talking about the paranormal in general terms, Neville wasn't afraid of the subject. He, you know, he sort of shrugged at it. He had been through the Depression. He had been through all kinds of, you know, personal 
tragedies of his own. So he didn't care. He wasn't afraid. And when they told me, well, you know, we can't do that subject, I said, well, let me try. What's the harm? You'll, you'll tell me to leave? <laughs> I wasn't getting paid that much. It didn't matter. I had income from other work anyway. It, it really was a joke, the, their salary at, the, at that time. It built and did very well later. I mean, this is the point. I, I understood the subject finally by asking a million questions of as many people as I could get my hands on. And the strange thing was, I didn't have to look for the guests. The subject is so compelling. I, I don't know, maybe you, one of you or all of you will know why, but there was something very compelling about the whole subject. Because, it it's, the whole to, point, because it's the whole point of being alive. Are, you right. know, is there anything after this? Is there that's anybody right. else out there The ultimate us? question, are we alone? It is. Yeah, and nobody will talk about it. And why no. won't the government talk about it? Why do they squash people? And why is the 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 facade, not the the edifice that Art Bell built called Coast to Coast, which people still flock to, but they they're looking for Art Bell, and they sure. don't even know that they don't even know that they'll stay there for a couple of days. They'll hear the same music. They'll think they're listening to maybe a replacement for the night, but they don't. They, they, why does the corporate media want that kind of show in place? Well, we'll soon find out. We'll well, I can, t- I can yeah. tell you, Nancy, frankly, I can tell you what their thinking is. I've gone through this so many times. That incident, that's a true story with that assistant PD. I just took the phone. I just, I just pushed it across the table, and I said, here, here Big Shot, you sit, and, you sit and figure it out, okay? You're so, you're so damn smart. The, the fact is, frankly, the one word, this is the one word that is operative for people, well, what they call the suits, Steve will know what that means. The people who are, who sit behind the desks and uh, make the decisions, but have no idea what they're doing in terms of entertaining the public. It's called fear, fear and fear. They're scared. Oh, well, what if people tune out? What if they don't listen? Let's play it safe. Well, you cannot always play it safe. I don't but why don't they trust their thing. judgment? Why don't the average listener could do their job? Why don't they have the good judgment of an average listener? They don't even have the good judgment well, of, a, of, a, uh, Nancy, of a bad listener. I mean, a good, let alone a good listener. That's a good point. Steve, go ahead. Yeah, Nancy, it, it's even worse now because uh, these individual radio stations that used to be uh, controlled by just a program director, well, now you have a program director that's basically there to act as a cardboard cutout uh, carrying out the orders of corporate. So you've got ah, several exactly. hundred several hundred stations across the country ah. that are just yeah, taking, right. taking orders from the top down. So that's the program right. director says, corporate doesn't like this, guess what? Not only are you not getting on this radio station, you're not getting on 400 others. It's even that's worse right. than and, 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 and just to, to, as a simple question, why doesn't corporate want the better show and the better they, format? They well, do they, want, they want what's safe. Please, No, they, they just want what's ahead, safe. So, yes, yeah, but, but safe doesn't bring I will in tell ratings. You, no, I will tell you this, to Joe's point. People are – the thing that drives people the hardest is fear. People That's are right. afraid. And so you will not make a decision out of fear because if you make the wrong decision, you're That's afraid true. it will be an epic fail. So it is safer. I mean this I found out in Hollywood. There is a whole infrastructure called development. And the whole point of development is not to do something. That's the point of (laughs) development. Because everybody is afraid. People will say that in in Los Angeles, and I'm sure it's in many, many jobs in in corporate, it's you fail up. In other words, by not doing your job 
and not exposing your company to the downside because of fear, you basically move up in the ranks until you That's have right. a higher echelon of corporate management which basically is so afraid to make a decision, they don't make decisions, and so everything really stays the same. Well, if everything really stays the same, people are still going to keep on buying what they know. So why do something new? But wait, you're afraid. But wait, the big corporations, the big corporations right now are sort of like the Titanic, and they've already hit the iceberg. The big, the the thing called radio, all the big stations and all that stuff. The thing called newspapers. The thing called television. Tonight, we once again tried to uh, cancel our cable. It's harder to cancel your cable than it would be, I guess, to get a passport to Cuba. Oh, yeah. Okay? Nowadays, yes. You can't cancel it. You just can't cancel it. Thank you, Obama. Yeah. But anyway. No, no, that's true. Yeah. No, that's true. And also, young people are not listening, Nancy. Nancy, young people, what they call the millennials, you know, so-called younger generations, are not listening to... Uh, radio or watching TV. They are, they're doing... they are, they are listening to anything Art Bell puts out because they learned no, him through you. No, I mean the actual. Well, let me throw this. L- yeah. Let me throw this out to both yeah. Joe. Yeah, on the computer. Yeah. Yeah. One of the issues, Joe, that you raised was that, and and Steve, I think you're joined in this, is that people are not engaging in long form, long form interviews, no. long form no. programming. Here's my suggestion. I am wondering. If what has gone on over the past, let's say, 20 years, from 1995, maybe from 1990, from over that period of time, there has been what I'd suggest is a rewiring of America. That Mm -hmm. basically because of MTV, because Mm -hmm. of music videos, because of the way music is is directed, because of the way movies are directed and movie trailers – Cause mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm not even going to mention video games and mm-hmm. bouncing from website to website. We've basically developed a short attention span series of generations. So literally, look at our texting. Look at the look at the codes we use in texting. If you're doing something too long, it's TMI. If uh, somebody gives you something to read, then it's um what a TLDR. Uh, uh, I hate to tell you well, this, guys. Yeah, TMI yeah, is too TMI much. TMI doesn't mean yeah. that. It, it well, anyway, mean, you're well, thinking okay. of TL, TL, but here's, yeah, but here's, too I wanna, much information, too much yeah, information is when somebody, yeah. no, 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 it's not that bill, my little bill, TMI, TMI is too much info, it's nothing to do with who cares, it's always something really weirdly sexy, weirdly you, too intimate, ick. Well, then why did a Comcast operator, when I tried to explain to her, I was setting up the phone, because she was insulting house, you. She was insulting. She seemed very sweet when she said TMI, TMI. <laughs> okay, now let, let me just let me let me insert this. Uh, Angel has has told yes. me we have to close exactly at something, uh, and I want to make right. sure that Bill Bill gets his his outro or whatever we, you you folks call it, where right, Bill outro, says it right, is right. Bill voice. I will do it. I'll do it. I'll do but it. I'll when, do it. When, and, when, but tonight's going to be a little bit different, Nancy, because tonight he gets to say the magic phrase. Well, what's no, around? No, 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 don't say that. What time is our out, Angel? 11.56. We got to be skedaddling. Thank you. Okay, good. Okay, That's do, all I had to know. Do we what I wanted that? to suggest, what I wanted close? to suggest to both Joel and Steve is that the reason for this transformation of our listening habits is that an entire two successive generations have been rewired by the media themselves, by new technology. I'm not making a, 
a judgment, good or bad. I'm just saying new technology is a fact of life. Human beings evolve that this new technology has essentially rewired us so that we can't sit through a long form interview anymore. We I would. I would agree with you were it not for uh, a podcast like Serial that has been downloaded, I don't know how many millions upon millions of times. Uh, I mean, I mean, that Perhaps just sort of throws, throws yeah. that theory out. And you, uh, you look out. Well, yeah, I completely agree there also, I Steve, will expl- but here, here's yeah, the thing. I will exp- but ADD I will exp- has caught up with America, and that's me, a major reason no, why no, no, folks no, no, can't no. stick around with a whole I will archive. Explain serial. I will actually explain Serial because I'm trying to do my own right now, but I'll explain Serial. The way Serial manages to do this, it's brilliant, and I congratulate them 100%. Great case, great presentation. The way Serial has been able to do that is they have created an old-time radio broadcast dramatizing something so Mm. that what you're hearing is not just an announcer announcing, not just somebody reading from a script, but it is the intercut of interviews with people newscasts and other forms of input so that at the end you're basically hearing a soap opera and that's what serial is a non-fiction soap opera that's fantastic if that can be done that would be that's just awesome to do that uh and you see if you take a subject you, you've got to deal with also the appropriate subject and frankly like i said before the death of john lennon that night was a subject that you just knew you didn't have to do research you knew everybody in the world was going to be talking about that a beetle was murdered in front of his house come on it was just common sense right, right, right. It, it, yeah. It, it just, I don't know if I was angry, if I was hurt, probably more hurt than angry, that somebody could be that silly and be in a management position. And the same thing goes for the, the paranormal. Every night, I, you know, I never, ever ran. I, I've done shows about the paranormal from 1972 until fairly recently. So in all the years that I've done those shows, just like Art Bell, just like John Neville did for 22-plus years, there's only a handful of us who have been able to make a living doing it. It's very tricky because the management will still question you. They'll still ask you. You know, you'll still have to go through the... Okay, the, now the, I, have to, I have to interrupt you because you have to talk about Malachi Martin. You cannot leave this oh, moment yeah. without just mentioning that because folks don't know. They're always asking our bell about Malachi Martin. Whatever happened. At least let folks know how you know the man. Go ahead, Joel. <laughs> you how first, I then I... Okay, you want to go first? No, you go first. You first. Oh, I should go first. Uh, Malachi Martin was a very, very brilliant man who lived in Manhattan. He he was a priest, but he really wasn't cut out to be a priest in the sense that some of the rules and regulations that were very strict really weren't in. in, in he, not to his liking. That's the mm-hmm. nicest way I can word it. And so he, uh, you know, he had a, a, a girlfriend. He uh, had a social life. He was extremely, extremely articulate and erudite. I was friendly with a man who considered himself a psychic healer, a man by the name of Bryce Bond. And Bryce Bond was a phenomenal speaker. You see, he was the kind of guy you want on a show about the paranormal because Bryce could switch back and forth. He could talk about 
cryptozoology, meaning the Loch Ness Monster or Yeti, and go right back against the psychic healing. All of a sudden, we could switch to UFOs if we wanted. Just say the subject, and Bryce was there. Can we talk about psychokinesis tonight, about bending spoons like, like Yuri Geller? Sure, no problem. So we had, had a wonderful time. One day, I met him in the city for lunch, and he said, oh, he runs into a friend. He says, please let me introduce you to somebody. I know you, you guys aren't related because of the, even though the last names are the same, and I'm just standing there saying, who the heck? I, that's all I, I didn't know what to say. Right. Yeah, it was winter. I couldn't even see what he was wearing under the, the, the coat. He said, this is my friend, Father Malachi Martin. I, I nearly passed out because obviously I'd heard of him, and I'd read some of his books at that point. It was mm -hmm. Malachi Martin, the priest. And he invited us to talk, and I, I blurted out, and I didn't mean to. I, I don't mean any harm. I, I'm just ridiculous. And that's, it's one of the ways you get guests. You get good guests sometimes in the strangest ways. I said, listen, <laughs> any chance I could ever interview you? You know, mm -hmm. well, all, well. all he could, could do is say, you know, what, what 99 out of 100 girls in my life have said to me, no. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> Well, he says, yeah, much to my surprise, he said, yeah, I think we can work something out. I said, Bryce, do you mind? He said, no, that would be wonderful. Wow. So make a long story short, we met at one of his favorite diners. It was like a, a, it was like a, more like a coffee shop, but we sat in the back, and it was during the day, and it really wasn't open for business in the sense that there was crowds of people or people there making a lot of noise and clatter. And we spoke about his interest in exorcism and possession and all manner of things that I call occult. You see, to me, that's the occult. Frankly, that's not the paranormal as much. But he was so, so bright. And as a priest, he just was too far ahead of his time. And as somebody in the paranormal, he was so controversial. It was just a pity. And he was a brilliant writer. He wrote so many, many books. His death remains some part of a mystery. They say that he was in his apartment. He had a beautiful apartment on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Right. where he lived with this uh, woman. And the uh, story is that he fell off the ladder, uh, had a serious injury, and then died as a result. There is still a school of thought that says, that's not exactly what happened. It was more like somebody helped him fall off the ladder. And so to this day, nobody is quite sure. But when he passed away, we lost one of the brightest, most controversial and intelligent, articulate people in the occult that this country has ever, ever seen. And I, I hope that answers um, your jo question. Joel, Joel yes. if he lived in a posh Upper East Side apartment, what was he doing on a ladder? He wouldn't have had to do repairs and things. Oh, no, no, thank you for correcting me. It, it's a, you know what kind of ladder it was? I saw it. it there, there was like library shelves that, that covered ah, the walls. And you know that ladder that he was getting a book. Exactly. You know, we have the ladder attached yeah, to this, yeah, yeah. this thing yeah. across, and that's what he was doing. And so wow. they say, well, he was on that ladder, and he just moved himself. And then, you know, he's already getting older, and he had some health problems. You know, who doesn't when they get to be much older? And he, he was. And he just lost his balance and fell back, suffered a serious injury to his back and neck, and then he died. But no, did it wasn't you, the ladder you where meet, you have to you? get the, the superintendent to come up and do it for right. you. Did it was you that thing that's him? attached to it. Huh? Right, right. Did you meet with him when he was dying? Did he go to the hospital for a while? No, no, no. He was very private. He didn't really want too much company. He never really wanted too much company. Frankly, I don't think that he would have done an interview with me if I hadn't met him through Bryce Bond that day just by serendipity. 
uh, you know, on a New York City street. Well, do um, you still still have that interview somehow, somewhere? I, I do have some interviews. Yeah, I probably do, but I, God knows where. Because what happened when I left the radio station was that, I, I don't know, it's, broadcasting can also be a very spiteful industry. If you own, <laughs> as you probably have found out right? <laughs> already, yeah. yeah. It wow. doesn't take long to figure that out. It takes, about, it takes anywhere from three, three days to a week to figure out that you're in one of, <laughs> one of the most miserable, spiteful industries you can yeah. possibly imagine, and yet you're supposed to be entertaining and communicate. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so the, the, the answer is that the station kept almost all of my tapes. To my surprise, and almost seriously, it was the kind of thing that almost you know could bring a tear to your eye. When I announced on some appearance, someplace I made, or some interview after I left the show, this is now late '90s, I guess. I said something about having somebody asked me that, "Do you have your shows?" I said, "No, the station kept the tapes." Wow. Uh, and I said, "I, I don't." Do you know that people started to write in and tell me they had copies of my shows? Ah. And, isn't that something? And, and that, I'm sure that's happened with art over and over and over. Oh, my goodness. I, my goodness, it yeah. Does. Sure, and it does yeah. with John. It did with Mr. Nebel. Uh, Mr. Nebel was, this, uh, John Nebel was, this, I, I, never, I never could call him anything with Mr. Nebel. First of all, he was about six foot four ah. and very elegant. And I, I wasn't going to fool around, and I was always very, very polite. I, I knew my place. But John Neville, to this day, you can find, you can find collections of his tapes. Of course. They have not even, they have not even dated, because right. when he talks about a UFO sighting, what was that one, Bill, that, that goes back way before Betty and Barney Hill, one of the, the, very, the, one of the Cascade Mountains in Washington? Right. Oh, Arnold. oh the Kenneth, Kenneth Arnold, Arnold sighting. They still sound just as good. Right, we have to break in two more minutes, so I want to get oh. get set you up. But um, uh, I lost my train of thought. Of course, on the best show we've ever done. Well, what we're going to do. No, when we come back, when we come back, we'll show one more Malachi Martin story. Let's let okay. Steve ask Joel anything. Oh, it's he Candy, wants, then... Candy Jones, just Candy Jones. Yeah, just... we'll get that. Yeah. Okay. Oh yes. But okay, so what we'll do is uh, we'll take our break right now. Uh, we'll come back. Um, talk a little bit more about Malachi Martin and a great story about Malachi Martin and UFOs. And then Steve will take us into whatever he wants to find out from Joel. And then we will introduce the Art Bell Show. No, you will. You will. We will. You, Mr. Burns. You will. So, on Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio. We are your co-hosts, Bill and Nancy Burns. Please stay with us. Wait, wait, wait. For Malachi Martin. Wait, and I'm just being, remember what? Wait, just remember you have to say. <laughs> remember you have to say this is the very first time it's been able. You, anybody's been able to announce this ever right. on the well, planet. Well, yeah, but that's that. later. When, yeah, later. When we come, see, I did well, exactly we what you did. We'll do that. That's right. See that? So both we both stay with us <laughs> for these messages. We'll be back with our guest Joel Martin and Steve Warner and uh, the stories of the late Malachi Martin mm-hmm. after this. James Swagger, host of Capricorn Radio. I'm also an author, engineer, and researcher. Capricorn Radio covers alternative history, alternative science, philosophy, and truth-oriented discussions. 
We are proud to be on the Dark Matter Radio Network live at 8 p.m. Saturdays, Eastern Standard Time. You can catch extra info on darkmatterradio.net, jameswagger.com for yours truly, and capricornmembers.com for the archives. Don't forget, truth is not democratic, truth is truth. no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Hello, my name is Howard Hughes, and I'm in London, and I've been proud to bear this name all my life. Over here in the UK, I'm known as a broadcast journalist. I've been involved in some of the big stories of our time. The fall of the Berlin Wall. The death of Princess Diana. I told London about that. And on the first and second anniversaries of 9-11, I was there at Ground Zero, speaking to the people who were directly involved in those experiences I will never forget. So news is my thing. But my great love is my show, the one that I produce, The Unexplained. Over the years on this show, I've spoken to people like the late Al Bielik from the Philadelphia Experiment, Edgar Mitchell, the amazing Apollo astronaut, Dr. Stephen Greer, David Icke, and Uri Geller. People like Richard C. Hoagland have become personal friends over the years. I met him in London. So you can see that these sort of topics are what I like to discuss. Please join me on my show from London, The Unexplained, Monday nights on the Dark Matter Network. 4,734 UFO sightings in 2007. abductions by aliens or unknown species reported by American and British citizens and hundreds more unreported in 2007. Suppressed information about collisions with passenger aircraft and UFOs that has been kept from the public knowledge for years and only one trusted source on information from some of the top UFO researchers in the world. Exclusive information that cannot be found anywhere else on the planet. Trusted, connected, accurate. TheUFOStore.com Expand your personal library with fast shipping and instant downloadable information from the largest selection of UFO products on the internet by going to theufostore.com or call on the 24-hour, 7-day-a-week order line at 541-523-2630. The truth is out there, and theufostore.com has it. on water I walk a stone and I feel the power the hills have eyes and a common truth I doubt the stars and we're back on this especially momentous evening as Art Bell returns to the air on 
Future Theater Live Art Battle is going to be on Midnight in the Desert with uh, the great Graham Hancock. But right now on Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio, we are talking to Joe Martin and to Steve Warner. I just wanted to bring in a, a follow-up Malachi Martin story, uh, and yes. then we'll turn it over to Steve. So the deal is that... Um, we're filming in the third season of UFO Hunters out on Long Island, and a very sartorial gentleman keeps staring at the filming. And mm-hmm. I finally get off camera, and so waves me over, and he tells me the most incredible story about his job a while back, back it would have been 20 years earlier, mm-hmm. uh, as a CIA non-official cover officer. No. What he explains is that back then, and probably still today, there are elements in the government that are so closely affiliated with NGOs, non-government companies, mm-hmm. but they do the work for the government. And this one particular NGO, which had someone on the board from the old Ronald Reagan administration, a name mm-hmm. that I'm not going to mention, from the old Ronald Reagan administration, was uh, was sitting on the board and they were they had given money out they had given a grant out to anybody who could find evidence of an alien civilization on planet earth and this one person had said i believe that there is such evidence in the sphinx so mm-hmm. they said and he was a, co- a a young assistant professor somewhere some midwestern college and they gave him a boatload of money to go out and they said find the evidence and we'll pay you in progress points. Well, he said that he knew, knew exactly where to look, and he did. He said that he found something. It would be in the Sphinx. And he actually, according to this person, pulled something from that quota hall of records that was, he said it, today, we would call that a DVD. The way he described mm-hmm. it back then was it was an, it was an oddly shaped very flat object, a lot like a record, but he didn't know what it was. All he said was nothing like that existed on this planet. This would have been back in the 1980s. Nothing like that existed on this planet. And so suddenly this person goes completely black. He, he disappears. And this NGO group is furious. They paid the money. Now you've got a person and they find out through the CIA, through actually through the NSA, this person has made contact with various security agencies from different countries, among them the, the KGB and, and, and um, mm-hmm. the Dizium Bureau from France. And he is selling this disc, this object, to the highest bidder. Hmm. So they bring this person in and they say, look, this is an important job. Um, this is a cowboy job, an off-the-books job, a black bag job. Get that disc and get rid of this guy. So... This person does his job. He goes to Egypt. He, he, he pretends he is from a foreign government. He contacts the guy. He says, look, I've brought a lot of money with me. I'm willing to give you a huge cash deposit. I want that disc. And so mm. or I want that object, not disc. I want that object. So this kid, this professor falls for it and says, okay, uh, meet me here. He meets him there. He's got a bag. He basically drugs the guy takes the object, calls a cleanup crew. They take this guy away. He's never heard from him again. And he gets an instruction over the phone 
that um, he is to wait for somebody to pick up the object from him and he is going to forget this mission. It never happened. The person will bring him money, mm. takes the money, disappears, and the person will take the object and disappears. Do you know who that person was that took the object? Was it uh, Dr. Martin? It was Malachi Martin. Malachi, Malachi Martin, oh Martin had come to Egypt mm -hmm. to take this disc. So Malachi Martin was working for a non-government agency mm -hmm. in league with the CIA. I'm really not. I'm not surprised. I, I mean, I I know something of that kind of arrangement, but that doesn't surprise me. It will surprise most people, although since the revelations about the NSA and some of the surreptitious listening in on conversations, etc., on the phone by government agencies, I think people are a little more accepting and open to it than they were, let's say, 10, 15, 20 years or more ago. Um, yeah, it was Malachi Martin, right? Yeah, I thought it was. It, it was Malachi yeah. Martin, and I've always yeah. had the theory that I'm going to turn this over to Steve Warner. I've always had the theory that one of the reasons Malachi Martin left the his orders, right? Because as he did, yes. he did right? He he mm -hmm. actually got a dispensation from the Pope to leave his orders That's and true. and and basically come to the United States. I believe that Malachi Martin was recruited by the CIA, not because he was a priest, but because he was at the very edge of, let's call it normal. He, he, he was an exorcist, even though the church frowned on formal exorcism, they allowed Malachi Martin to practice it. Mm -hmm. He founded an organization in Connecticut called SCORE, we could go into that on some other day, but that is a, a really flaky organization. Not flaky, I mean weird in terms of what they do. They're exorcists. Yes, sir. And, 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 and he did found that organization, and he was known by this. And, and of course, as, as Joel, as you've written, it was um, the book about the exorcism in Washington. It was not yes. Malachi Martin who performed that exorcism, but it was that book that really excited Martin um, – entirely about how did this priest be, how did this person write that book? This is real. This is a real thing. That's right. That's fine. Okay, Steve, uh, yeah, your with, questions. With the time that uh, we have left, my understanding is before you started doing the uh, paranormal talk radio, you were kind of a straight-laced radio reporter for WBAB out on Long Island? Yes, I, I, I was never straight-laced, but yeah, I know what you're saying, yes. I, I was kind of, yeah, I was kind of just a, a radio reporter. Yeah, that's accurate. So yeah. somehow you managed to be, I guess, just um, just the way it, it, it played out was you happened to be the first reporter who was on the scene at the Amityville house after yeah. the DeFeo mass murder. That's right, November of 1974. That's right. The reason for that was simply thanks. It, I can credit that frankly, not to any skill I have, not to any particular knowledge or gift that God gave me, but because it was an era when we simply did not have the technology. So that meant that you had to go the old-fashioned way, by foot. So I got a call one evening, uh, very excited, from United Press International, the wire service for whom I was also working. You see what I was doing? I, was, I, was, I held about six jobs. I was going to cram as much stuff in frankly, not only in terms of money, but experience and uh, credits as I could. They said, uh, Martin, Martin, I said, speaking, what's the problem? 
that Joel Martin, listen, we need you to get right down. You're the closest reporter we have, the closest stringer, which is their word for part-time reporter, I guess, to Amityville, Long Island. Isn't that right? I said, yeah, we're about 10 minutes from there, maybe less. He said, get right down to 112 Ocean Avenue. Quick, quick. There's been a mass murder. Six people have been killed. It was like something out of a, a, a bad clock. It was just terrible. And that's the way they spoke to me. So I said, fine, I'll go. So I, I got a hold of the producer, and she and I went down, took our tape recorders and stuff. And when we got there, it was just deadly quiet and morose is the only way to describe it. There were police cars, and there were lights, and there were photographers from... Uh, the crime scene units, and there were all all kinds of personnel. And sure as heck, there were six people killed in one family, the DeFeo family. It turns out it was the son who survived the massacre, who was the killer of his parents, two brothers and two sisters. And uh, I visited, in fact, a cemetery just a couple of years ago uh, to pay my respects because the story had become such a circus. I didn't Frankly, you want to be honest when you're doing this, and I always have been. If I believed it, I was honest and said so. If I wasn't, I said that. But I wanted to see, just pay my respects to the grave sites. Ironically, diagonal to the grave sites is the the mausoleum kind of is a big, big gravestone where my late wife was buried. And I, I guess, to be honest, that creeped me out. Some things really do creep you out. You know, some things are just play acting. Other things or not. And I tried very hard never to do anything that would be a fraud or a phony. I don't think Malachi Martin was a fraud or a phony either that way. You have to believe in the subject. You have to really be honest about it with other people. And so uh, what we did is we were able to report the time of death. And the way I was able to do it is their dog was barking, uh, the people who were murdered, at 3.15 in the morning, approximately. And so some kids in the neighborhood said they all heard the dog was a, a hound, uh, like a, a, a bay dog, a kind that you use for hunting. And uh, it went, oh, oh, you know, that kind of crying. And so I reported that in my story the next day, and that's what became the beginning of the Amityville Horror movie where the uh, wow. medical examiner... Wow. Right, he comes out and he says, "Yeah, yeah. time of death three fifteen. Yeah. yeah, I was kind of, kind of, I was kind of, you know, annoyed because they made the guy short and fat and bald, and I didn't Aww. like that. And yeah. you're, and you're, and you're a fabulous looking man. But Joel, do you know that the <laughs> same exact thing happened in the O.J. Simpson murder? Um, no. The the phrase plaintive wail, p plaintive wail. I'm not going oh, to yes, spell yes, it. Yes. Plaintive wail. The dog, the uh, W A I L, yeah. Yeah, Nicole yeah. Brown. I, I'm not doing it for you, John. Uh, I'm Nicole, doing it for our... No, Nicole Brown's dog, right, was yes, wailing. Yes. Yeah, but that was spelling it out for our audience. Some of our okay. audience is very young. They don't know plaintive wail. And yeah. so that, that, that term, plaintive wail, became uh, kind of a hallmark of the story. Mm. And I know a really pretty popular Hollywood writer who made a blog called Plaintive Wail, and it was one of the insider blogs in Hollywood. But yeah, yeah isn't that weird that both. A plaintive yes. wail of a dog and yours? Isn't that that's? It, it yeah. is. It, it it's very interesting, and it also it, it, look. And you know what else it suggests? We're talking about the paranormal, and I said that yeah. we should always try to be honest. And look what it says. It says that there are commonalities in these experiences, and I have in one of the books that uh, Bill and I did. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's in one of the books that Bill and I did. Um, about the, the, the uh, communications, about, about the spiritualism era of, of centuries ago, when 
President Lincoln was assassinated that night in the theater in 1865. His dog was in the White House. There was no way to even communicate a few blocks from one place to the other, and his dog started to cry like a baby. Same thing, the plaintive whale. They couldn't control the dog. How did the dog know that its master, who he loved, he, the, yeah. the dog loved President Lincoln, and, and the dog is going. Wow. Oh, oh, oh. It's right. like FDR's oh. dog too. FDR yeah, Roosevelt's dog too. How yeah. now? How does how does this happen? Well, you're going to do the, uh, the Jim Randy thing and say, "Well, it's all coincidence. You can't prove it." Yes, you can mm-hmm. prove it, and it's not coincidence, and it's not anecdotal because when you take a million experiences, it stops right. being anecdotal. You know, it, it's kind of so sort of Well, the effect, that. the effect, the wave effect of love is stronger than we understand, and it That's supersedes right. all the chaos that is our daily life. And Absolutely. as I keep, yeah, I keep saying that this the, there's a wave effect going on from this Art Bell thing. I am finding such interesting stuff everywhere I turn. Right. People are turning their radios on and they're starting to Twitter. I've never seen anything like it. Um, the Twitter things are starting to go like in a, in a casino. Though you know the apples and the oranges are all go. The spin <laughs> the, the columns are machine, spinning. Sure. Yeah, the yeah, columns are spinning machine, up. Yeah. 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 Well, and, yeah, you're going to find that you are, don't you, Bill? You're going to you, you found that already. You you'll find that people are going to come to you with their stories and their experiences. Oh, right. You don't have to look very far for it. Yeah, this is true. You know, Joe, the book you're talking about is Haunting of the Presidents, and the other oh. story in that book about a dog that's wailing is the story you tell about uh, FDR. FDR was in Georgia with his mistress when he died, that's and right. the dog fella actually actually saw something because a fellow was in the room when Roosevelt died and fella is walking over and looking up. It's almost as though the dog sees FDR's spirit Spirit. rising out of his body because fella, what was fella looking at as he walked over to the just person just died, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, but looking up in the air as if he's seeing something. Because he was seeing something, frankly. This is is what this is what Malachi Martin was trying to say about spirits, whether you're talking about the positive or the negative, the good or the bad. And the same with, with Fowler, the same with the, the, uh, the, the little dog. He was seeing his, his uh, master's uh, his spirit, no question about it. Um, mm. As a matter of fact, he, after he, he cried so, so hard and he was so shaken emotionally, the dog that is, FDR's little dog, it was a Scotch Terrier. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, it burst through the it burst right through the um what do you call those things the the screen door of the house in Georgia. He wow. went right through the door, right through the the um wow. the screen, and sat on a hill. And they couldn't get him down for hours. He was crying his eyes out, and then wow. he was finally quieted and calmed. They took him to FDR's funeral, and he started again. And what did he do this time? Exactly what Bill just said. He, the dog looks up as if to say he's seeing something. And where is he looking? Above the coffin. He looks above it and he's watching intently. And he whimpers and he sees clearly something up there. What was it? Probably FDR spirit. Now, you want to say that it's all baloney? Why do that? Why do people yeah. do that? that yeah. something, is go, something is going on. That's what Art Bell that's what Art Bell is there for, to help us understand that. Yeah. And the dog Fela really started a whole tradition because Fela, of all the things around FDR, 
he always brought that dog with him wherever he went. I mean, oh, that, dog, that, that dog, dog, it's almost so he was right. attached at the hip Bella. to that dog. That's right. Bella, that's right. Bella, uh, Bella. Eleanor didn't go with him as often as Fowler did. That's, a, that's <laughs> true, frankly. Even- the, the wife never, never traveled as much yeah. as, as the all, dog. No, not at all. Not at no. all. Uh, no. What's interesting with the dog stores, you, you see these pet stores all throughout history. It's just remarkable. How can they know? How in the heck do they know? How do they know to look in a particular corner as if something is up there? And right. the, the Fala story is just, to me, is just amazing. Uh, and by the way, the book, the book that we took it from to show you that it's not some loony who writes the story. William Manchester who wrote a, a series of books ah. called the, the Glory and the Dream is right, where right. the story comes from. Mm-hmm. He researched it and found it to be true. He was as stunned as, as I was. It was real. Wow. In wow. fact, the sto- In fact, here's what's so funny. Okay, let me, and, uh, let me announce. Gonna... Uh, I want to <clears throat> announce real fast. We have ten more minutes. No, no, not, no, no, not no, we have six, no. We have six more minutes. Six. But listeners, right. many right. listeners who are coming on right now. Many, many listeners. are just coming on to Dark Matter Digital Network. Welcome. We are so happy to have you here, and you're listening to the tail end of Future Theater. Our show is the very first show to be able to say that Art Bell's coming back. Now, that's in nine minutes, okay? And we've only no, 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 in five minutes. Five minutes. But it's art, art. But if people don't care about your five minutes, they care about art in nine minutes. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I'm saying it to the greater crowd. There are more people listening now than have ever listened to us in a million years. And they are not here for future theater. They're here for art. So they have merely nine minutes and counting to wait. However, because there'll be a little commercial after our show. But we just wanted to introduce ourselves and say that our guest tonight is Joel That's Shut up. That's our producer, Angel. He's so mature. He's so mature. But our guest tonight is... uh, well, we have two guests, but Steve Warner is kind of a colleague of ours right now in the greater picture, and we are welcoming uh, Joel Martin. That's he's the raconteur that he's been talking about. And he's we've been, been setting guests. up, and we've been setting up the whole background for paranormal late night talk show radio, yes. uh, which really goes back to the 1950s. I just want to throw one thing out, and then uh, let Steve chime in, and then we are going to introduce the uh, Midnight in the Desert show, but. Um, the funny thing about Long John Nebel, which always struck me, and see what you think, Joel, is yeah. this, that Long John Nebel's affinity, remember, he started with UFOs, right, and right. Long John's affinity for the subject comes at a time of, look at all the early 1950s UFO movies, This That's Island, right. Earth, uh, It Came From Outer Space, right. uh, Invaders From Mars, these were when you read the CIA official history of UFOs, yes, folks, there really is a CIA official history of UFOs. You can find <laughs> it on right. the CIA website. When you read that, you will find that it was the CIA that promulgated various Hollywood producers and directors and mainly writers like the Body Snatchers, for example. Uh-huh. To, it was the CIA encouraging them to develop stories about flying saucers because this comes – Right after the big UFO flap over Washington, D.C. in July 1952, which was broadcast on Movie Tone News and on the front pages of newspapers everywhere, and it took 
uh, General Sanford to really tamp the whole thing down and say the whole thing was a big mistake. Move along, folks. Nothing to see here. But it generated so much enthusiasm that the CIA said, well, if we can't beat this forest fire down, let's route the forest fire and call everything fiction. So therefore, when some nutcase like Joe Martin and Bill Burns go on the air talking about UFOs (laughs) and Art Bell, it really is fiction. It's not real. And that's Mm. why they inspired those movies. This is exactly the time that Long John Neville is 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 coming on the air talking about UFOs and these two streams mesh a very effective uh, <laughs> incredible listener like Long John Neville picking up on the CIA's favorite subject they admitted this in in writing the CIA's favorite subject UFOs and thus began a whole genre of talk shows so uh, let's let, give Steve the last word for two minutes. Well, uh, to, well. first of all, thank you so much for having me on. But, um, and Joel, it's uh, fantastic to meet you. I just think uh, Art Bell is coming back at such a perfect time. It seems like yes. the interest in paranormal topics sort of ebbs and flows. Um, huge in the 90s, sort of cooled off in the, in the mid-2000s, and now it seems like it's ramping back up again. Uh, yes. And Art is coming back at just the right time. You've got NASA that seems to be finding new exoplanets every other day. Uh, you've got the New Horizons flyby of Pluto and the program. And disclosure no. is within weeks, according to Richard Hoagland. Just <laughs> well, but wait, but wait, and well. Steve, Steve, you don't have two minutes; you only have one because you got to give Bill one. the last minute. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. I just so, no. I, yeah. So okay. I just think it's the yeah. perfect time for Art to be coming back, and I, I just appreciate that uh, you guys are allowing me to be a part of uh, well, the last minute or two before Art uh, does the official launch. Well, it's, yeah, well, it's, it'll, every it's night our pleasure. Yeah, and every thank night's going to be exciting. Yeah, please, it I'm is. sorry. Okay, so thank you, Joel. So um, to all folks listening, to our own future theater audience, to folks joining us for uh, Midnight in the Desert, it is my honor, it is my privilege, it is my great glory to say Art Bell will be joining us on Midnight in the Desert. He is coming back to radio. This is a very momentous occasion. So for everybody, please stay tuned to Midnight in the Desert with Art Bell and his wonderful guest, Graham Hancock. Art, welcome back to radio. We are enthusiastically awaiting your return. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Yay!